welcome inside the Midlife Pilot Podcast. It is your podcast all about flying and aviation in the middle of your life. So the name really tracks, uh, and I think it's pretty on point if I'm going to be honest about it. Uh, I'm Chris Moran. I'm the Midlife Pilot on YouTube, and to my my right your left as you're watching this uh if you're watching this with us live as we record it every other wednesday night 8 p.m eastern on uh, youtube is uh my friend and yours uh drummer extraordinaire music producer filmmaker drone aficionado airplane owner still and again uh deep in the heart of nashville it's uh brian siskind good evening sir good evening chris Boy, that was a really, that was a solid one right there. You just kind of, I think you've been kind of holding back on some of the superlatives for a while. And then you just, you know, you just delivered. So I feel every once in a while when I'm feeling generous. I, like when you're introducing me, I, I think, wow, that guy sounds pretty cool. I'd like to know that guy. He seems to do some cool stuff. So thank you for that. Yeah, very welcome. Um, so yeah, we've, uh, did you notice in the, in the, have you ever noticed <laughs> as an audio uh, aficionado, have you ever noticed in the intro? Uh, music or, you know, sort of synthesizer bit that, um, and maybe this is just me. I mean, I made it right, but it's like, it bothers me every time I hear one aspect of it, which is that the compressor hits too hard on the first, uh, set of chords. And then it kind of balance, you know, balance the, the, you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. The so release. You can hear the, at- the attack and release are not quite right. It's actually a defect that I kind of think is, is kind of a cool sound, but also it kind of bothers me because it's it's either do that every time or do it none of the time. But when it does it some of the time, and these are the things that, you know, if if anybody out there is an audio person, you live your whole life hyperanalyzing all these kinds of things. It's true. You hear it forever and then you can't unhear it. And then it's the only thing you can hear. And it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Like, yeah. How's the mixing going for your big uh, band project? It is complete. Whoa. How many and tracks? It is, uh, well, by the time it was done with all of the like little overdubs and some of the synth parts that I added, I mean, we were. Oh, to, now. Oh, you went back and reinforced it. I, yeah, there's a little bit of reinforcement. Oh. Yeah. Here's what uh, we won't. We're not going to. I promise to those of you who want to talk about flying, we will not. This is not an audio podcast. This is a, <laughs> an airplane podcast. But there's things you don't appreciate in a live recording. So like. Sometimes you need in a band, like this was a wind ensemble, right? So we had a tuba player and we did have a bass guitar player, but like sometimes you just need a little bit more, um, sub, you know, bottom end. What we didn't have was a upright string bass. So I added some of that and we were missing. We didn't, there were a few parts where we didn't have enough percussionists to play all of the auxiliary percussion stuff, right? Uh-huh. So some of that stuff, it was never my intention to make the performance something it wasn't. It was just, so I told people it was augmenting, not replacing or like trying to fake anything. It was just adding some stuff, but it is complete. And probably it was north of 70 or 75 tracks probably by the time it was done oh. it was it was a, it, you, i'll have to show so you get you some screenshots of my pro tools session at some point it was uh a lot and a ton of automation you know just fader moves and yeah it just it, it was it's a lot it was a wow lot. i bet you had uh I, I hope that you were using buses 
Oh, many. Oh, so many VCA <laughs> groups and uh, yeah, buses for, oh, yes. So right, we're, we're, yeah, we're down the wormhole now. We're, yeah, we're, we we're going to lose people here. But, um, uh, but you know, this that's how really how the podcast started was that we were just nerding out about uh, all these kinds of things. So I guess it's fair we do it a little bit, but um, sure. but maybe we talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about, right? Like they always say that, right? For like a presentation, right? Like you you tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, then you tell them what you told them. Right. So uh, not that we're telling people, but you know what I'm saying. So right. let's maybe talk about, oh, I don't know um, what we're going to do tonight. Actually, you know what? Hold on. Disruption. I missed last night the presentation they did here in Nashville on the new Superclass Charlie uh, expansion of BNA's airspace. Uh, they did a big presentation uh, that I was not able to attend. Um, but I will say... I was very much hoping to get um, two, one if not two, controllers from BNA to be on the podcast this evening. It did not work out. Obviously, they're super busy, um, but I think it will work out for two weeks or in a month from now. So, um, you know, I'm not saying we're coming for opposing bases or anything, but you know, we're, we're going to try to bring some some controller uh, firepower in here. But really, it's really an interesting. Uh, dilemma and set of dilemmas that are being sort of solved and or presented by the superclass Charlie. And um, uh, I think it's BNA is the second busiest class C in the country, I believe. And um, one more thing about that, that I found fascinating that I, this is what I want to talk to those folks about um, is, you know, the problem is they've got so many aircraft around the area that are not talking to them. And so, uh, they want to expand the area and kind of force more people to talk to them. That being said, you know, your initial response or thought is, wow, that's going to, you know, if they're already so bogged down, how are like now they're just going to add more. Right. But in fact, it's, it's the opposite. And this is what I thought maybe the case and it actually is, which is they spend most of the, they spend, they burn so much time and calls talking to people to deal with all the people that are not talking that if everybody was just talking, um, then I see leaner and easier for them. So it'll be fascinating to sort of see all that sorted out. What would be great if, uh, what would be great is if, um, <laughs> what would be great is if, um, John tune could get radar. That would be nice. Yeah. Um, but what fun is that? You know, it's sort of like a, you know, I it like the idea of, you know, you're coming in there and you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> it would have probably prevented uh, my favorite ever Josh McElhatton radio call of all time. <laughs> yeah. I have a 360. No, but, but Josh, what I think is great about uh, Josh, I know I'm pretty sure you're in the chat right now. Um, what I love about that is that he had that moment. He left it. He's not trying to be too cool for YouTube, right? It was, it was allowed to be on YouTube. And the way that he described it was, what do you say? Like, I just reached into a bag of words and that's what I got or something like that. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. I'm interested in that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that'll be really awesome. Uh, but anyway, let's, uh, get into the, uh, I guess the topic for this evening. Yeah. I got back from Oshkosh on Sunday. Yeah. And, uh, man, what a trip that was. Um, so did you, uh, actually do a count of, um, 
Root beer floats. Yeah. Oh, it's it's disappointing. It's a disappointing number, if you can believe it. I had what? two. I had two. two? Root beer two. I'll tell you the truth. It was too hot for ice cream. Like it was one of those things that, like, you know, you get a little too much dairy going, and then you're oh, out yeah. in the 97 degree heat all afternoon. And you're like, uh oh, I've made terrible mistakes. Yeah. Um, there yeah. were a lot of memes. Uh, we loved Cecilia. Was, my daughter was with me and she's a social media expert. And so she knows how to find everything about everything on all the platforms. And so she was showing me memes all week of like, there were a lot of these uh, surviving 120 degree porta potty after eating like three days worth of uh, deep fried cheese curds, which is one of the like <laughs> legendary things they have at Oshkosh. It's like, it was, um, the heat was definitely a story. Like it was, um, noticeable and intense uh for sure um but we we were there for three days so we we actually modified our plan slightly we were we we flew to milwaukee on southwest airlines on wednesday and the plan was to take our rental vehicle and go uh, we had an suv reserve we were going to go straight to oshkosh from the airport because we landed at like 12 30 in the afternoon and set up camp and camp at oshkosh but thank the lord um, our friend of the podcast, Michael Young, had texted me after our last podcast episode and said, hey, we've got an Airbnb that's like two miles from there with an extra bedroom if you guys just want to stay with us. And I was yeah. like, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so when we got to the airport, I was fortunate enough to be able to downgrade my car. We just ended up with a smaller sedan then because we didn't need the big vehicle. Oh, and, yeah. Um, we ended up staying in Milwaukee on Wednesday and just hung out. We went to the Milwaukee Art Museum, which is that's amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've Just been there. So awesome. Um, we spent several hours in there. It was um it was so cool. We just hung out there and stayed at a hotel in downtown, a real real historic um hotel in downtown Milwaukee. Yeah. And uh just kind of chilled. <clears throat> and then so we drove up on uh we drove up on Thursday morning reasonably early because we didn't want to waste a day and I, i'm gonna so i'm gonna i'm not gonna we're not gonna, I'm gonna bore you with an hour of talking about the oshkosh experience but I, i'm a, an overarching theme and and they should be good at it because they've had 70 years this was the 70th air venture at oshkosh so this is 70 years of this of this show and uh they are so good at what they do there in terms of the city as a whole and how they manage the volume of people. I mean, they were, I haven't seen the final numbers, but it's north of like 600,000 attendees. I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous number yeah. for a town of that size and for an airport of that size. We didn't sit in traffic. And I kid you not. We drove into parking lots every day. We did not sit in traffic one time coming in and out of Oshkosh to get to the parking lots. Mm. It moved the whole way in and out. Um, the shuttle, you know, they're moving people. They're so fit. They know how to do that. It just <laughs> how midlife, how midlife is this? We haven't heard anything about air venture. Like, yeah, like, right. It's sort of like when you're a teenager going to a concert, you don't care about any of this stuff. You're just like, dude, it rocked. Now, how midlife is this? Right. You're just like, and I was able to get from here. Yep, to I know. Here, and I, I never got angry. <laughs> the logistics were so amazing to me. Yeah, I, I no, really was looking at that stuff. I just was so fascinated by how they man, you know, all of the, the temporary structures they put up with the portable air conditioning. I was thinking, how much did Sunbelt Reynolds make on this show? I mean, I looked, you know, just the volume of portable air conditioning. Yeah. You know, just, and the amount of power, then I'm thinking, well, oh my God, how much power service do they have at this airport where they can run all this three phase power everywhere? To, I mean, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable, the logistics. And, and then I was looking at things like, here's something fascinating. Here's aviation related fascination for you. So I want to go to Oshkosh 
the airport when the show isn't there and walk the grounds again because I mean, you won't be able to, I mean, you probably can walk some places, but like, but they do things like you don't notice some of the light stanchions that they put up the actual like lights for people to see the ground, you know, that are along the walkways and stuff. They're on these concrete pads. And I thought, Oh my God, they're on these concrete pads because they unbolt these after the show. They, they can't be here. They're right by a taxiway. Like yeah. this stuff all comes down and all the taxiway lights that they take out for the show and then put back. I mean, there's so much airport transformation that has to happen to, to support the show too. It's, it's really, it's just remarkable the logistics of it. But so we got there on, on Thursday morning. Parked, went in the main interest. I kind of showed Cecilia the lay of the land because like it came back to me real fast. The the layout doesn't change too much year to year. So like it I immediately remembered, you know, like ah, I remember where these exhibit hangers are that I like. Here's the, I know where the root beer floats are. Like <laughs> it's this way to the warbirds, it's the other way to the ultralight field. You know, it's like here's where everything is. And um, so we just kind of walked around and took in all the sites. Somebody I want to have on the podcast, uh, as another friend of ours, um, Named uh, Colin Chappelle, who works for um, Joby Aviation. Yeah, um, shout out to he, Colin. He hooked us up a re- with a really cool experience. Um, they their company is building a really wild um, manned electric VTOL aircraft. Um, that is, um, their the end goal here is for. Um, personal transportation air taxi service basically kind of think uber for the air in major metropolitan areas at least to start and they're predicting that when this thing gets commercially adopted and is in use in big cities that the cost of one of these rides is going to be like equivalent or in the ballpark of just like an uber black rate um that this vehicle is so awesome he let us in we we got the experience their full simulator thing that wasn't really there for the general public, but he got us, we got to spend about 20 minutes or half hour in there with him. Both Cecilia and I got to fly it and it's the most radical flying experience that I've ever had. You just, you really can't think about it like flying an airplane. This thing is so smart and computer uh, aided where when you're in the takeoff, you have two controls. You have a right joystick in your right hand that here, here's how, here's how it's explained to me. You push it forward. If you want to go down, like descend you pull it backwards if you want to ascend um and you pitch it left or right to like go like slide left or right and you can rotate it to control your yaw axis okay and then in your left hand is this throttle but it's not like a throttle on an airplane like it sits in the middle in a neutral position and you can push it forward and if you let go it comes back to the neutral if you pull back it goes backwards it goes it it's forward and backward, essentially forward and backwards. Okay. When you're in like the takeoff and landing mode that it's in, it's smart enough to control your speed. Like this is much less like you push full forward and it doesn't go fast. It It's very detuned and very slow. Oh. Uh, landing is super easy. I mean, Cecilia and I both were successfully able to take off and land on a spot. I mean, Cecilia's, I mean, she just sat down and did it like she'd been flying the thing forever. I mean, it was, there's nothing to it. And then when you go in right real mode, you push it forward, you'll establish a speed 
and you let it go back to neutral and it doesn't slow down. It, it maintains uh, its speed. But here's the crazy part, guys. Like you can't do anything stupid. Like if you still want to ascend at the speed you're going, you can just pull back on this stick all the way and it'll ascend as fast as it'll let you ascend, but it will not stall or upset or get in a weird. It, there's no, it won't let you, you can't, you can't stall it or put it into an attitude that is unsafe at any orientation at any flight characteristic. You can't, it will not allow you to put it into a mode that is unsafe. So it's like those VTOLs you've seen, like right where the props, they're, they're in one orientation for takeoff and landing. And then some of the props move to a different orientation for forward flight and stuff. Yeah. But it, it was the coolest thing. Um, and so we'd li- love to talk to them some more about kind of the design and what they're doing. And there were actually several companies there demonstrating these types of vehicles, but it was pretty wild. Um, That's amazing. Wild. Do you ever feel sometimes when you see sort of Blade Runner futuristic type things like this sort of coming to life in front of you, I, at least for me, I find myself, the, my first instinct is always, well, that's not going to ever be a thing. <laughs> like, right. You know, like how... That's, you can't do that, you know? Right. Yeah, um, it was crazy. And then you realize, well, there's a lot of people betting a lot of money that uh, wouldn't do it unless they uh, had a plan on the return. Yep, for sure. The um, the air shows were great, as they always are. Um, you know, super entertaining. Um, they don't have, at Oshkosh, they don't have any of the big flight teams there like the blue i think the blue angels like Mm -hmm. the big multiple jets and some of that is reasons of where the airport is situated near the town and some other things there would be Uh some areas they would have to clear of people outside of the airport property to there's there's rules flight line rules for those type of formations for how where they how close they can be to things and so they they don't ever have those big teams um at oshkosh to do those kind of demonstrations but the F, you know, F-22 was there, F-35, uh, F-18, a lot of um, vintage warbirds. Um, air shows were really exciting. A lot of the pyrotechnics they use there are the craziest, the explosions on the runway and some of those. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's like, like, you mean like the sort of fake kind of yeah. whatever sort of napalmy looking things they're yeah. doing? Yeah. Yeah. We were sad we didn't get to stay for any of the night air shows. And that was mainly just due to the factor that we, we completely wore ourselves out. Um, in the heat, we, we were early birds. So we were there, you know, some mornings we were there as early as seven 30. And yeah. just by the time the air show starts at 8 PM, you can get out of there till 10 PM. That's, that's a lot of time in the like 90 degree weather. And yeah. it was just, uh, it was just too much, but, um, the air shows were fantastic. The food was good. I mean, we didn't have any bad food. We tried several different vendors there for food and, um, how does Cecilia do? Cause I know that she's, uh, yeah. How'd she, she- do? She did great. We found, in fact, the very first day we had, uh, there was a, um, a Mexican food vendor there that had, um, um, vegan chorizo burrito. Oh, wow. Uh, that was legit. Uh, so she had no problem finding, um, food to eat while we were there. Uh, obviously awesome. I meant, I mentioned Michael Young. We got to, we got to hang out with them and eat lunch. Dave Moscardelli, I think is in the chat tonight too. Yeah. He and his wife Lori were there. So finally got to meet in person and hang out. We walked the Warbird section with them, uh, Neat. one of the mornings and then uh, met a couple other, uh, folks as well. Uh, that was pretty, was pretty cool to put some faces with, uh, names and get to meet up. What was, uh, what was Cecilia's favorite parts? I think, 
She really liked the air shows. I mean, we made ourselves, we found a spot by the second day with Michael. The, the trick was finding places you could see well enough, but in the shade, you oh, know, yeah. that was kind of the trick. Like the crazies pack the flight line in the right. grass and it's like, there's no shade for a mile in any direction. You're basically, you know, up against the runway essentially. And um, we, we eventually walked up there on Saturday to see, we really wanted to see the F 35 and their high speed pass as close as we could get to it. And uh, so we did that one day, but we found, we found a spot in the shade in the vintage section in front of one of the little booths that we staked out the second day. We went an hour before the air show to get our spot. And uh, we basically laid, we put our little packs down. We laid in the grass, um, was propped up with our back and neck so we could see. I mean, it was perfect. We were just like literally laying in the shade oh, in the grass man. watching the airplanes. Oh man, it was, it was fantastic. She really liked the air shows. Um, and they were really, really good. Was Saw a lot of, go ahead. I was just going to say, was there ever a point where you just thought, man, I really wish Brian was here? Oh, yes. All the time. <laughs> I thought about that more than once. <laughs> no, you're like, you're like, if Brian was here, he would be, no, he, he wouldn't care for that too much. Um, uh, no, I would have, I, I really, I will, I'm, I think I'm going to go next year. And, you know, everybody was talking earlier, like, it seems like the way to do it is to let Michael Young lead the way, you know, <laughs> and for those who don't know, I mean, you know, uh, you know and Michael Young, uh, he had some, he was making some videos early on and his flying, uh, he hasn't done it in a long time, but he is out there on the YouTubes. Um, he did fly with, uh, Lou Dix once, uh, but he's been a, a friend of ours for a while. He's, a, he came to your, uh, midlife pilot fly in that was, uh, at, uh, Currituck in the Outer Banks. Um, I think, was that the first time we ever met Michael? Yes. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. And then, um, he came to the, the, the nobody cares flying in Nashville. Um, and then we went to his hood in St. Simon's and he, I'm not sure I've ever eaten better or been better taken care of and just led from one thing to the next. So effortlessly in my life. So I really do think, um, that, that Michael Young, if you're out there, man, we need you, man. For I think we're, there are talks in the works currently for a fall Dayton, Ohio, um, event uh flying event really so, yeah am I, how am i hearing about this now like well i meant to tell podcast. you before we started tonight uh it was oh, actually geez. dave it was actually dave moscardelli's idea um oh nice that's another kind of centralized place i mean definitely for you me him yeah and some of our group it's reasonably easy to get to and there's a ton of aviation in dayton obviously i mean there's a lot of things to do aviation related there yeah um so hopefully we can get some word out about that and try to plan something where maybe we can meet some more folks who are here but um i did want to say one thing i'm not gonna anyway oshkosh was fantastic i managed to not get a sunburn but one of the coolest things i did and i think you guys will really this was all about midlife pilots truthfully I participated in, some of you may have seen it on social media. The FAA was advertising for um, a cognitive study oh, yeah. that they, they were going to do at AirVenture this year. And they were paying people. Like they needed people in the specific age range. I think it was 40 and up. Um, and if you had a first class medical, they were paying $500. If you had a second class, it was $400. And if you had a third class, it was $300 to come and do this computerized cognitive testing. And, um, they did it at the EAA. There's a new, there's a museum on the ground there, the EAA headquarters and a museum. And they've recently built a, just a beautiful, like training facility there with a ton of Redbird simulators and, um, classrooms and conference rooms and stuff. They did it in this, in this, uh, training center. And 
it was it was so fascinating to me the kind of data that they were looking at like there was nothing aviation related whatsoever about this test this was strictly a like a cognitive ability test where there were there were events like um they would show you like they give you a word on screen for two seconds each. They'd give you 15 of them and say, try to remember these words. And then way later in the test, it would say, okay, remember those words. Now we're going to show you a list of 70 words. Click the space bar if you recognize one from the list earlier or press a shift key if you don't. Oh. Up to you for two seconds each. So, you know, you just kind of had to go through stuff like that. Or like they'd give you a little white box that floated around the screen. It would say, keep your mouse cursor in that thing. And below it is a number. And then it says, and click the, click the left mouse button every time the number goes above 56. And so you do that for a while and then the number would separate from the white square the next time. So you're following the white square over here and the numbers on the, uh, other, you know, the point of it all was, and she explained that the doctor, um, the PhD who was explaining the, the reasoning for the test is what they're really looking to establish is a baseline cognitive ability for different age groups of otherwise healthy pilots. So that if they have a person who has, let's say, a stroke, a pilot who has a stroke or a pilot who has some other event, mm-hmm. and they have to test them for cognitive ability, they can say, well, this person at age 62, this is where they fall on the scale of the average of pilots I see. in that age range. So they, they did this test once back in the late 80s, but so much has changed for um, you know, testing methodology. They wanted a new baseline kind of, of where people were. It was honestly, for an analyst like I am, it was a... It was a fascinating study. It took three and a half hours of time, but you, the, the, you walk out with a $300 MasterCard gift card. It, it, that's all we spent the rest of the trip, you know, on food. Yeah, and yeah. so it, was, it was, and I really enjoyed it and I was glad to participate and be kind of part of that. It, it was really fascinating. Kudos to the FA. I mean, the te- it was really well done. Every part of it was just expertly done. You could tell they really put a lot of effort into that test. And uh, Wow. Yeah, it was great. Um, and did you tank it a little bit on purpose to make it easier for those that come after you? <laughs> there was jokes about that in the room, um, <laughs> you know, but um, I was I was happy. They let us see our scores like they were real strict about they didn't want distractions in the room. And I tended to finish this segments early, but they yeah. wouldn't let anyone walk out and take a break until the whole room was done. So while you were finished, you had these noise canceling headphones on and you could watch the live cams from EAA on the computer. Like, uh-huh. And then at the end, they showed your results. If you finished early enough, they said, you can look at your results if you want on the screen. So I spent some time looking through mine and I was very happy. They, the comparative results, they had the same study for military personnel in your age group. Mm-hmm. And in just about all the categories, I was in the 98th to 100th percentile with the exception of short-term uh, and long-term memory. And it was gauged. I was in the average, I was in the average range for my age. What's left mid midterm memory. Like, what? Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they gauge long-term <laughs> memory. I get, I don't know, whatever they, however they gauge it. But I, my, I told my wife, I was bummed about my memory score. And she's like, well, I mean, I would think being how you should be for your age is probably the right you know, the right place to be. And then if on all the other stuff, the math and the reflex reflex time and stuff was good, then I think that's a positive outcome, but it was, it was super cool. I'm glad I did it. Um, and, uh, yeah, anyway, that was my testing experience. It was very neat. Fun. Well, it sounds like a great experience all around. You got a good time with, with your daughter, you got to see a lot of things, had a couple of root beer flows, didn't overdo it, didn't get sunburned. So it sounds like it's all a wild success. Yes, it was very good. Very uh, good. Do you have any flying coming up or anything? Potentially. I mean, scheduled flying the end of this month. We're going back to Newport News for 
not for work for my own. I won't say that out loud. Uh, we're going to Newport <laughs> News for pleasure, um, potentially uh, later this month. And uh, I was trying to fly today, uh, but I'm happy to report um, our club planes are very busy. And um, I was going to take five to Lima out for a little bit, but it is uh, uh, somebody mentioned in the chat, stinky weasels in the chat. He said that he's tracking it. It's going to be coming back inbound. So I keep looking over here <laughs> to the runway because I keep hearing things. I'm expecting to see it come back and land any minute. So it's been, uh, it's been flying very, 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 very much, which is good. Well, um, I'm going to do now, Chris, um, what is called a segue. Oh, wait, we need a wipe transition. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, I had, a, I had it all worked out how I was going to smoothly do the segue, but then I just thought, maybe there's just too much of a premium on segues. Let's just yeah, change the channel. for it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, no, but, um, when it, you know, we've been talking a lot about, um, you, uh, the, you know, the challenges of running a club, the different things that have gone on with the airplanes, a lot of the maintenance concerns and all that. And then meanwhile, you know, I think that you've been a good resource for me, um, as I'm a newer owner, uh, and trying to sort out fact from fiction and, um, try to arrive at some sort of baseline, a kind of an MO that you kind of want to establish as an owner about, you know, maintenance. And, you know, for those people that are, you know, doing well enough to where you can just, you know, kind of do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want it. Uh, maybe it's not as much of a squeeze, but I think that, you know, when you're trying to be as, uh, you know, practical as possible and safe, you know, as a baseline always, but, trying to figure out all of that. It's an interesting dynamic. It's the thing that I can, I'm continually fascinated with, I think is all of the things that you just get absolutely no exposure to training for not even a foundational setup other than just like a basic systems understanding and private pilot training. And there's not even a, I feel like there's almost like a, a gulf between, I almost feel like there's some modular thing that you should be able to do as a pilot that is kind of an endorsement or an add-on that is not about becoming an AMP or going down that line, but it's something that kind of funnels or sort of feathers together maybe um, uh, ownership and uh, pilot you know, allowable preventive maintenance and, you know, all of that. I feel like there's this kind of massive gulf and you're kind of just left when you get, you just kind of just get out there and there's a lot of student pilots. You know, we have some in the, we have some in the chat that were student pilots not too long ago that bought planes when they were student pilots, you know, and, and that's, that's a lot to, to take on much less just learning how to fly and everybody's got to figure this stuff out. So what do people do, right? They go to the internet that's what we all do to learn things. That's how half of us got here into this position in the first place. Yep. Uh, there's good and bad for that. But I guess, you know, 
what I'm finding to be interesting is just that that sort of interstitial sort of territory between um, uh, being new uh, and then trying to understand maintenance. And then you've got all these different schools of thought and everybody's got their own outlook. Everybody's got their own mechanic. Everybody's got their own Mike Bush books or everybody's got their own, you know, whatever it is, everybody's got their, these opinions. And a lot of these opinions are not harmonious. They're not universal. They are opinions about something that is the same in terms of, you know, like say a, a Lycoming engine or whatever, you know? And so I don't know. I just wanted to sort of open up the conversation a little bit around the idea of maintenance and pathways to sort fact from fiction and maintenance. And I can maybe start us off with one example real quick. Um, uh, like, so, so I don't know, like we were talking about the, um, the hydraulic fluid, right. <laughs> uh, you know, for the brakes. So you have a little puddle of, uh, you know, fluid under, you know, um, underneath That's the right, right, right. side. You can almost see it. Oh yeah. There. So you got, oh, yours is good. Oh, look at that. So yours is not, mine leaks inside the plane. Oh no. Yeah. Well, see, I'd fix that because I don't want to get it on my shoes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like this is a problem in, in my airplane that happened in April uh, when I first got it. And so I was the first person that had really been flying the plane a lot. And so I, th- I just thought, well, I've been pressing things a lot and breaking things and, or breaking. And uh, so maybe that's just sort of, agitated some sort of a connection or something and it's not that big of a deal tighten something up. <clears throat> so the um, mechanic looked at it and um, uh, you know, he, he basically just said, you know, I'm going to tighten some things up and we'll kind of see how it goes, you know. Um, but it, it, it's kind of, you know, when you don't know any better, you think brakes, brakes important, need brakes, fluid leaking, more fluid leaks, less brakes. I don't know. How does this work? You know, you kind of understand the system, but it's like, okay, well, there's still fluid there. Can you just top it off? Is it, you know, and so you have to go f- figure out all these things and you don't want to bug mechanics to death, you know, when you, if you don't have the ability to do that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, this is not a safety of flight issue. It's a small thing. And it's kind of like, hey, man, if you really want to rip apart or not rip apart, but if you really want to replace the cylinders and the parts and all the things, and, you know, it's just a connection. It's just going to be a lot of, a lot of manual labor to do, you know, maybe some O-rings. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, um, you know, it's kind of, I, I, I find myself getting answers from mechanics a lot that are kind of like, I mean, if you really want to do it, we can do it. But I don't think that it's that big of a deal kind of thing. Right. So, you know, what, what do you think about these kind of things? I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you sort fact from fiction? How do you sort Mike Bush saying that you should be, you know, you should be leaning when you're taking a shower. You should be leaning when you're eating a burger. You should be, you know, should be leaning while you're doing your taxes. And if you're not fully lean all the time, you know, whatever, like, and then you've got other mechanics that are like, you should, you know, make sure always climb it, you know, take off full rich and yeah, you know, all that. So these are good questions. Talk to me about it. I will. Uh, so I'll start by saying, I think as an overall idea, there's a few things. You, some of this does just come with time because then the more you fly the same planes, because you do get to know a lot more about your planes, A, just from flying them, but the more you're around working on them and start to understand how the things in them work, uh, a lot of things start to make sense that you don't even, aren't even directly connected. Like 
you know, later a thing will come up and you'll say, Oh yeah, I remember when this other thing happened, you know? Okay. So I think that's the overarching theme. Now, how do you decide who to trust? We had a really, I'm going to bring this up on here. We, in our discord, we had a really cool conversation the other day and I loved it um, about, um, <laughs> about engine monitors. Okay. Well, just no, I'm not going to get into the detail. I of knew it. this would come up. I'm I knew not, this would come up. I'm not getting into the details of the conversation. What I'm going to okay. say is right. here's a good example, Brian, seriously though, because you know, you brought up, you had, you had a, a great mechanic who, who just did a, some good work on your plane and got some real big problems fixed who says one thing. And then, and even with the leaning thing, you know, and then there's people like Mike Bush and kind of the argument was like, well, you know, this guy's 50 years of experience. I'm like, well, yeah, so does Mike Bush. So like it, the, the, the years of experience, I, I don't, it's like anything else. Um, Dan Grider has years of experience, but I won't listen to a word he says. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, um, I think, I think that's a grain of salt kind of a thing. Um, I think the more you fly the specific planes that you fly. And so here's a good example about leaning. You brought that up as an example. So I'll use it. Like, how do you know? So I have always been a, because my instructor started me this way. Like the second we start the engine, the very first thing I do after I watch oil pressure come alive. I mean, I'm saying before I even turn on the, the uh, field switch or whatever, and the avionics, the very first thing I do is I pull that red knob as far back as I can pull it. And it's lean at that yep. moment. And yep. some of that comes from what my instructor taught me. Some mm-hmm. of it is we have a 150 in this club who I've personally done bore scope inspections of all the cylinders. And it, and then I've also done the same thing on my Cherokee behind me. And you can look at the cylinder walls and the, and the valve, you know, the valves and everything else. And you yeah. can very clearly see, um, where, what planes have been used for training in full rich environments around the pattern yeah. all oh, the yeah. time? Yeah. And which ones have, have been leaned just you know by, what the, I'm by the, just sort of the burn pattern, the burn pattern, how much carbon has built up on all of the yeah. insides. I mean, you can very clearly yeah. tell a difference. And so I've just been in the mindset of, I try to lean, I lean and climb. Now there's a lot of caveats here. Like, in this plane specifically, because I've got a gigantic engine monitor that monitors every single parameter of every single cylinder. So I have all the tools to like decide, am I safe to lean or not? Like if I could pull back and climb and I look over my cylinder heads are over 400 degrees, I'm like, oh, I need a little more fuel. You know what I mean? So I have all the tools to make, I'm not advocating yeah. that like every pilot in every plane pulls the mixture and climb. Sure. Like, yeah. But um, so I think some of it is your own experience with the planes you have, the tools you have at your disposal. And then, um, you know, just personal experiences. I, I, it's like this in every facet of life. You have people that you trust and sometimes we trust people and they're right about a lot of things, but they might be wrong about some things, but I don't, you know, I, I just think you get a feel for who kind of aligns with the things that make sense to you and the topics that you've studied and learned about. And, you know, you kind of go with that. I don't know. Well, the thing that we brought up in, in the discord that we were talking about, let's just go right to that for a second. I was just making the point, not that I, I, it's not my position. I was just making the point that I found it interesting that this uh, uh, mechanic that basically was the mechanic that my normal trusted mechanic uh, sent us to for this more kind of specialized fuel system kind of stuff that we needed to get sorted out. and. That mechanic said um, that he had he was frustrated often 
you know, cause I asked him, I said, um, you know, what do you think about engine monitors and engine monitoring in the sense of like a, in the context of a Cherokee 180, right. That's from the late sixties or whatever, not like, uh, any plane. Right. And I said, you know, I find it interesting. That there's, there's no EGT, there's no CHT. It didn't even come with these things. Right. And he's like, exactly. It's a simple machine. And if, if Piper really thought that those things were necessary, then they would have put those in the plane. It's a fixed mm-hmm. bit propeller. It's a simple engine. The engine will tell you what it needs. Um, that was kind of the mentality. I'm just repeating that, right? Because I find it interesting that you've got on one hand, kind of the, you know, send your data to savvy and have it analyzed and go through all these. There's just, such, there's such a, such an extreme, uh, diversion of approaches. And his approach was so kind of just fly the plane. You know, that's, I mean, just fly the plane. Like just that's, it was very sort of hyper simplified in that way. Yeah. I mean, um, so yeah. And, and the counterpoint was that I, I, um, there's a lot of them. I mean, uh, in 1972 or whenever your plane was manufactured, uh, the technology wasn't quite what it is right now to be able to do the kind of things they can do in small spaces with, of course, yeah, you know, the monitoring. And I, I, I'm a, I'm a proponent of, I don't think there's ever too much data, mm-hmm. um, to collect. You can see trends, you can see things before they're no, problem. Not, and so, course. but I did appreciate his point. You know, it's like anything else. Like I know I have friends now, I have friends that go to get blood work done um, for fun. All the time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hypersensitive, you know, I yeah. think you think get your blood work as the way your doctor yeah. orders and how often. Are but they using, you, Are they using Blackstone? The, yeah, they're sending it for the analysis, right? But, you know, the the idea is like you could, you could freak yourself out continuously um, when you have that much data at your fingertips. Uh, and I just, that's a human condition thing more than it is like, an aviation engine thing. Like I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 if for no other reason, I like my engine monitor for being able to lean absolutely as efficiently as I can in flight and see every cylinder head temperature every second of the flight. So if I'm anywhere near where I don't want to be, I'll just give it more fuel. I mean, yeah, it's, oh, of course, I, of course. You know, that's kind of my, my general takeaway from my engine. That's my favorite thing with the engine monitor, but I really, um, I'm anxious to go back through the slides. I wanted so bad to go to Mike Bush's um, session uh, at Oshkosh on leaning and I I couldn't get to it. Um, But um, I've seen the slides and I think it's very similar to the one he does online. And, uh, you know, and I'm not, he's very logical and the points he makes make sense to me. I am not a, I'm not subscribed to his service. I don't upload all my engine monitor data to his stuff. I mean, I just, I'm not, I'm not an all in, you know, Mike Bush guy, but I do think he has a yeah. lot of pretty valid so, takes on a lot of things. So on that, right? And so, by the way, what this mechanic was telling me was basically, he was just talking about how exhausting it is that people now have all... It's, I would imagine it's exactly the same as being a doctor now, right? Before, like imagine being a doctor before Google and WebMD and then being a doctor after, right? With WebMD. And you have to spend half of your time trying to talk people down off of whatever they have talked themselves into and used confirmation bias to support whatever narrative that is the most paranoid thing they can come right. up with or, or whatever, right? It doesn't mean that getting data is bad 
And, uh, and I think I even mentioned this, like in, in business, I used to, you know, when I was working at a software company and I'd be in these meetings and they always would say, we need to be data driven. And I'm like, no, 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 we need to be data informed, but we can still use our brains to intuit a lot of the finer points around all this, right? Like, let's not mm-hmm. just go down a path uh, blindly. And so I think what he was saying was just that he's got, he'll get, you know, on these email threads with people and, and people come into the shop and they're like, no, 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 I've got to get a, you know, I, I really think I need, you know, you're telling me, I'd, it's like, they want to get a new cylinder. <laughs> He's trying right. to say like, you know, right. you don't need a new, it's just this, you know, right. this is not a literal example, but it's kind of like, no, just this thing's loose. It's, that's all it is. Just, you know, and if you just would have brought it in in the first place, I, I could have saved myself three weeks of email threads and phone calls. Mm-hmm. And this was a non-issue, but your data had you all up in arms because you're just looking at downstream effects of something very simple upstream or whatever. I'm not saying that's empirical or a reason to not get data. I'm just saying I can see how from his position that that would be kind of a point of uh, frustration when it's like these are, especially for like a Cherokee or something where it's like, this is not, this is a lawnmower engine. This is not, you know, a crazy thing to to diagnose. So sure. It all came back to like the original question was like, you said, he said, we, we, you don't need an engine monitor. I said, well, no, you absolutely don't need one. I mean, you don't need a propeller if you don't, you don't need an engine monitor. You know, (laughs) I'm, I'm I'm glad that my plane came with all the probes installed in an old one. That was just a pop out, pop in replacement for the big LCD screen. I didn't put one in this plane. It had one already. So Mm -hmm. like, and I'm glad that it did. And yeah, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a really good discussion and I think it's, uh, there's, there's certainly valid stuff, uh, all the way around. I, so to some of your other points, like maintenance items that like we've seen and like, how do you pick the stuff that you're going to like defer to later and keep flying the plane? Like, that's a really good point. We talked about a little bit before the podcast. Like yeah. I was thinking a lot about that. Like, in the club, we've gotten really good at using all the rubber on our tires. You, you know what I mean? Like, cause you could make yourself crazy. Like, Oh, another flat spot. It's time to change a tire. And I thought, man, if we changed a tire every time we had a flat spot on one of them, we'd be broke. I mean, we, we definitely run our tires to, to thread. Um, uh, because we just, they fly so much and so many students, you know, it's just a constant thing, but we've gotten really good at assessing. But here, here's where I think you get where you make up for that. So like we say, okay, it's time to change this tire on this plane. So when we do it, we take the time every time, just about not every time we don't repack the bearings and stuff every time with grease, but we, we service parts around it that we're, when we have the wheel off anyway, we say, well, this is a good time to like clean and redo this thing. Or like, you know, it's not just a tire change anymore. And it's always tire and tube. We never screw around. Some people try to reuse tubes, which is, you just don't do that. Um, if you're going to go to all the trouble of pulling it off and deflate, the odds are good that you've almost broken something anyway around the valve stem and it, you know, you've weakened that. So just change the whole package and, but don't be scared. I guess don't be scared to run your tires. Like, I mean, a little bit of the tread being gone, you know, and a couple of the grooves on one spot of a couple inches is not a new tire situation. Um, you know, you can, you can, you can defer that a little bit. Um, and we've gotten really good about doing everything we can ourselves. Um, we have a lot of technically, uh, mechanically minded people in the club. So like, I mean, you were talking about hydraulic fluid. You can 
top the reservoirs yourself as a of the pilot doesn't require uh, an amp obviously the oil stuff we've gotten really good at changing um not just the filters but you know the oil cleaning the oil screens which is a pain on a couple of these planes they're in hard places to get to and you got to replace a little crush washer every time you do it but we do that every few oil changes so every couple hundred hours change the oil screen uh, clean the oil screen um I'm trying to think of items that we have chosen to defer. Oh, here's a good one. The primer on this plane behind me has never worked since we bought it. Um, it's it's only an issue. Um, it's only an issue uh, a couple months a year up here when it gets cold enough to be. We yeah. have an engine. We have an oil sump heater, so that helps tremendously. But I, I had to park it in Charleston, West Virginia, overnight in the cold and. Um, it, uh, I had a real hard time starting. I had to go put it back in a hangar and heat it up for, you know, over an hour to get it to start because I didn't have primer. And, um, so that's been deferred. We have the parts. So at annual, we're going to do it this time. We've just deferred the primer. Yeah. Um, you know, not a huge safety issue. Um, brakes, you know, you, how many times have you gotten in a, Cess- a Cessna and been like, boy, this one of these brakes is squishy. You know, it's getting pretty squishy and this one's squishier than the other one. And, mm-hmm. um, We've always felt like as long as you have pressure and can the the both wheels can be stopped, um, you know it's flyable. So we'll fly it uh, and then service the brakes when it's convenient. Um, stuff that land slower. <laughs> yeah, I hope you get your speeds right. You know, um, stuff that's not obviously deferrable or things like we have one of our planes has an alternator um, that's in op, so that's obviously that's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think you get to know your planes, you know, kind of, you get to kind of, yep. You get to kind of know what, how much is too much, you know, when it's time to, we try not to defer stuff. If we have the time and the money and the ability to do it, we try to do it where, yeah. where we can, but also uh, if it's a safety issue because of the volume of people we have flying these planes and the various skill levels. I mean, if it's, a, if it's even remotely, any of us on the board consider it's a safety problem, um, we'll ground the plane until one of our MPs can come and look at it and either, say for sure um so we've definitely grounded things before and then somebody came up and said oh like we did an oil change (laughs) we did an oil change and we always cut the filter open you know and pull the pull the elements out and look for a metal and i was all freaked out like oh i don't like the looks of this so i made an amp come out we ground the plane i left it laid out on a piece of cardboard in the hangar and he came up and said every single piece that you left in there is a carbon deposit he said you just got to pick them up and crush them with your fingers. And if they break up, I said, ah, uh-huh. interesting. It was all, it was, there was nothing wrong with the engine, but it freaked me out enough that, you know, we grounded it until we were sure. There's so many things like that, right? You got to, you got to, it's good. You got to air to the side of safety and then, you know, be pleasantly surprised when you were an idiot and move on. You know, it's, that's definitely the way to go. Um, yeah. So does anybody, have, so what did we cover tonight? We've, we've already, uh, we've talked about, it sounds like maybe we're going to do a Dayton thing in the fall. Um, and so I, I like that idea a lot. Um, and so I'm trying to see if we have any other comments or anything in here we want to pull across. There's not really any questions cause we've just been kind of yapping while you're looking through that. I want, I do want to say that I, did you talk about, or do you want to talk about your, um, what just ha- what your maintenance was? Cause I was going to tell you that what I think what you found your, you know, your, your instinct as to what was going on. I thought you made a very good decision um, to have that looked at. 
I don't, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but I, I thought, I just thought your instinct was very, very good. No, if it's complimentary, that. I'd like to hear from you more about it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about? We'll give the short version, the fuel, the, uh, the, um, the oh. engine roughness. Yeah. Short so, version. um, so it's a Cherokee 180 Delta model. It's a basically 1968. Um, and so, yeah, so, in flying this thing uh, since you know early April, um, I've noticed it was newer to me then. I just thought this is kind of just how this plane is. But when I was climbing, you get to about three thousand feet. Uh, if you're full rich on a climb, it'll just the engine will start to stumble and kind of shudder. And if you just lean a little bit, um, you get some RPM back and you just carry on, and everything ran great. Um, so I kind of didn't really think it was necessarily that big of a deal. You know, I was flying in the heat in the mountains and, you know, stuff like that. And I just thought, well, yeah, of course you're going to have to lean on the climb or whatever. And I flew it, you know, probably 30 or 35 hours in April. And then when it came up for annual or right, right around that time, I, the other guy, one of the other guys, uh, flew it and he, experienced that and for him having known the plane for a while but he hadn't flown in a while but he had you know he kind of freaked out like this is really sketchy you know i don't like this this plane's never done this he was asking me you know i was like yeah i mean it does that whatever he's like no no no, it should not do this so long story short um then it goes into annual and the mechanic is saying i've never seen more carbon <laughs> you know uh this is a mess kind of thing you know and the guys were kind of thinking that I just was just running full rich everywhere all the time or something like never leaned once ever. And I did not, I, I did have one instance where I had foul plugs and I knew that like I had been on top of this a hundred percent. So I, I didn't understand how that was happening. And anyway, it just turns out I was just really running really rich. Um, and so, uh, our primary mechanic looked at it, um, and had some thoughts, but uh, thought it'd be better to send it to his, you know, one of his recommended people, uh, kind of this, uh, you know, another very experienced mechanic. Took it to him. Uh, he found some screws loose in the carburetor, um, not just with the pilots. And <laughs> also, so he adjusted the float, tightens up some screws. The fuel pump was OEM 1967. Um, so replace that and then, uh, did some O-rings on the primer and it was kind of like, it's going to be, I, I think what it was definitely one of those, pro- I mean, there was definitely fuel getting through, uh, the fuel, the fuel pump. You know what I mean? Like it was getting around the diaph, like it's, <laughs> it was not doing what it's supposed to do. So there was something happening with the fuel pump, something happened with the carburetor and something happened with the primer to some extent all at the same time that amounted to what this issue was. He sorted it all out. Uh, I took it up. It was probably a hundred degrees outside, maybe 95. And um, I just full rich and started spiraling up uh, by the airport, went up, you know, 3000 definitely would have been having this problem already. You know, 4,000, 5,000 went up to like 6,000 feet. Um, You know, and the density altitude was probably, I don't know. It was, it was definitely a density altitude kind of day. And then came back down. It was absolutely just no problem whatsoever. And everything's 100% fine. Um, and so now 
uh, I can do a full rich climb without an extreme amount of power loss, even in really hot weather. And so that comes back to the whole thing where in the early offing, I thought, well, of course I'm going to be leaning a little bit on takeoff or I'm going to be doing that, you know, and then I've both of the mechanics that I've been dealing with said in a Cherokee, you don't, you just, you run full rich on takeoff. I don't care what you say. I don't care what Mike Bush says. I don't care what he says. It's like coming. You run full rich. So, except, in, like, except in Denver. Right. If you're at Leadville, it's a different thing. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know what I'm saying? So yeah. Uh, anyway, it's, it's just a, a role, a really interesting adventure and in, yep. in sort of getting something. It's so satisfying when you have a problem and then it gets fixed. <laughs> I don't ever take it, take it for granted, right? It's such a nice feeling when it's like, I, I have a problem. Sir, will you fix this? And they go, yes, sir, I will fix it for you. And then they do things and then you get it back. And it's like, hey, thank you. It doesn't do that thing anymore. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yep. That's, I think it is. Anyway, that was a good, uh, that was an ex- my point of, was that was an example of a good thing to make you go, this, you know, I should have this looked at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Case where I was flying the 150 and I lost a few hundred RPM while approaching an airport and jammed the throttle in to get it back and then wouldn't touch the throttle again until I was like, knew I could glide to the runway and, you know, everything was fine. And it freaked me out enough that I had, we looked at it too. We bore, we took the, all the spark plugs out and looked through everything. And the conclusion from the mechanic was a, a lead deposit. That's that plane that has the ton oh, of the deposits. Away, yeah. Broke loose, held open, got stuck in the opening of an into an exhaust valve or an intake valve just for a couple cycles of it, mm. and then blew out the exhaust. And then the engine was fine after that, right? So, but it was enough for me that I said, after an engine anomaly like that, someone's going to look at it before it goes in the air again. So those are the, you know those are the kind of things that you say that's it could potentially be a safety of flight issue we need to make sure that it's good so all that being said you know it, it, that's the other thing is it's really interesting to fly an airplane to the place that you're going to get it worked on for this issue <laughs> you know what i mean that fine line of like yeah it's safe to fly if you're taking it to get fixed <laughs> right <laughs> like i was i don't know it's just an interesting sort of it's it's similar to cars in so many ways and the old like older cars that I have, you know, where you, you really have to deal with mechanics and then technicians kind of don't know what to do with it. Right. Um and with these older planes, you know, um, if you don't have an engine monitor, then you you've got to find somebody that can do the wizardry of actually being a mechanic and, oh, and I, I really respect it. It's an art form. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it absolutely is. You learn, you just know how to touch the thing and know what it is and how it should feel and sound and what's the what. And it's uh, definitely an art form. So, yeah. Well, this has been fun. Yeah, um, covered a lot of ground. Uh, what should people do? We, what? Oh, I'm going to tell you what they should do. Okay. Um, I'm going to definitely tell you. Uh, I'm also going to say that I think the next few episodes, we have some pretty exciting stuff uh, that we're going to try to work out. I know that you, um, uh, I definitely want to do the Nashville controllers thing. I'm super fascinated by the, by the airspace, uh, changes that are, that are proposed there. Um, always happening. We, we made some friends with, um, I made, we made some friends with, uh, some folks from another, uh, aviation podcast out in the Midwest. Uh, I think we're going to talk with some folks coming up in a few weeks, uh, from there. Uh, worlds can collide. We can start to kind of bring some of our, some of our groups together there. It should be super fun. Definitely want to talk to the Joby aviation folks. Um, 
yeah, there'll be some other guests too coming that uh, I haven't even talked to you about yet. But um, I'm super excited for the next uh, few rounds of episodes. I think we have a lot of good content coming your way. And uh, if you can take a moment to help us out, if you haven't done so already, uh, subscribe to the audio podcast. That's a, that's a big help as are, um, especially on Apple, um, re- uh, reviews and ratings. Um, every time you... Uh, rate the podcast or leave a review for us. It really helps other, the algorithm help our podcast find other people who may find it interesting to join this uh, awesome community that we have started to build around us here. And um, the more the merrier. So uh, if you can take a minute to help us out with that, uh, it's greatly appreciated. Yeah. What else? No, I think, I think that's it. Um, uh, yeah. I, I will say though, the last thing, Chris, I'm just going to dig on you for a second here. Let's see. Then I'm ready for the next midlife pilot content, and I've got some stuff coming. I've been so busy with all of the changes and going on in my world that I haven't. I've got all these stuff, all the stuff written. I've got, I've got so many things that are right there. I, I kind of feel like I'm Chris a little bit right now. I feel like I'm a little bit like you. I've got all this stuff like right there, but I just I have to get a little free to then start rolling stuff out. But for me, it'll be happening very soon. So thanks for everybody's patience for, you know, uh, you know, not yelling at me about it as much as I yell at you about yours. Yeah, for sure. That's fair. I'll take it all the time. Well, thanks for potting tonight. Thanks for uh, all of our friends hanging out in the chat. It was good to see everybody in here tonight. Uh, we read all these as they go by. I've been following along with all your conversations tonight. It's always good to see you every other Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Midlife Pilot YouTube channel. If you want to hang out and like, be part of the live chat community, it's a whole other animal. You guys that are just listening to the audio podcast don't get to see. There's a and it's like a whole nother hour of another show that goes on in the chat amongst themselves it's very fun to watch and uh yeah thanks for potting and we'll do it again in a couple weeks thanks buddy so long everyone